Hello and welcome back to the Sister Cast. I'm just looking to check that the volumes are okay. Are we okay? I think so. Good, excellent. This is uh, episode three of season three of the Sister Cast. I'm Amanda. And I am Zoe. And Zoe, you tweeted something. I did. I Sh- tw- I mean, I tweet a lot of things. You're going to have to be more specific. You do tweet a lot. <laughs> and it's so random. <laughs> is that your strategy? Is my that random- your Twitter strategy? Yeah, well, have you seen my pinned post? I have. So here's a pro tip for Twitter. Not that I am a Twitter pro. I am absolutely a Twitter amateur. But... Um, if you are someone who, like me, and uses Twitter in a chaotic and random way, then you might want to have a pinned post that both, both names that you do use Twitter in a chaotic, random way, and also, like, start a thread off of that pinned post with the stuff that you really want people to know about you. Like, you can go look at mine. I'm at Zoe York Writes. And my twin, my pinned post says something like, are you looking at it? I am. Would you like me to read it? <laughs> yes, please. In my best Zoe York voice. <laughs> There's a word in here I don't know, though. What is it? You and your fancy words. All right. This is what your pinned tweet says. Since I use this account for equal parts political snark, replate... Replete. I've never heard of that word in my life. (laughs) Replete with cursing. (laughs) Highly NSFW. I know what that means. Not safe for work. Highly NSFW erotic romance research discussion and the odd random other thing. Info about my books may get buried. So I'm going to pin this post and thread it off with book news. Yeah. So when you want book news, you click on that post. Yeah. And I have a graphic on that pin tweet too so it kind of catches the eye that's me being a marketing pro except i nice used a word done. that maybe people don't know replete means filled or well supplied with hey every day i <laughs> discover words i've never heard of hey um and now i'm just bringing this up randomly so i'm not going to actually have the correct pronunciations but i just learned you know how there are words that you read as a kid but you never hear pronounced and so in your head you always say them the wrong way so there's a word, and it is, I have always pronounced it, well, it's a word and a name, Calliope, C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E, and it's also pronounced Calliope? No, I'm getting that wrong. Anyway, I'll tweet about this randomly later, um, but there are, but there is a, there's a, like a poem that's maybe like a hundred years old that uses both pronunciations to talk about how they have two different meanings. It's the same word, two different pronunciations, two different meanings. Of Calliope? Yes. Or of a different word? No, of Calliope. Like tomato, Calliope, tomato. Calliope. Calliope might be the other one. Oh, yeah. I've heard that one. That sounds right. Calliope. Yes. That's right. Anyway, the most embarrassing one for me yep. is Chow's. Chow's Garden? No, like chaos. You I- do not. You do not. <laughs> You do not not anymore. Chows. But as a kid, I read chaos in a book. And in my head, I went, clearly, that word is pronounced chows. Nope. There's nope. no W. No, but it's like chaos. 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 Well, chaos. Anyway, then I Words learned, are hard. Then I learned that it was pronounced chaos, felt eternally mortified, and uh, have you know, told everybody ever since. You didn't know that about me? No. Yeah. You know what? I work in radio and the amount of mispronunciation that happens mm. on a constant basis is, you know, we're only human. You know who has excellent pronunciation of absolutely everything? 
Alex Trebek. Yes. We've been watching Jeopardy. Have you been watching the Jeopardy episodes on Netflix? I have. <laughs> no. How is Jeopardy on Netflix for <laughs> okay. starters? It's a super random choice. Super random. Yeah. Okay. So Jeopardy has um, three collections. You know how Netflix puts things in seasons or collections? They have three collections. Two of them are, I think one is like uh, a, a winning competition or something like all the winners pitch pit against each other one is i think teens and the other one the one that we've been working our way through is the season premiere of every year oh that's cool it is kind of cool but it also gets really frustrating if you get hooked (laughs) on one winner and you're like i want to see the rest of their run like do you remember when jeopardy because we used to watch jeopardy sure did right absolutely also very interesting to go back and watch because it's interesting to see where we entered into Jeopardy because all the stuff before that point for us it would have been like maybe 91 um anything before 1990 I was like I've never seen this before I don't recognize the set also they changed the set a lot so why would one of the collections be the season premieres I don't know it's random because it's not like they do something bigger like and those and the rest of those episodes, to the best of my knowledge, are not available anywhere. So it's not like it's like a loss leader to get you to buy the DVD sets. You know what I mean? It's it's an interesting choice. Yeah. So the three collections on Netflix, one is the college championships. Uh, oh, one's uh, teens. No, I, no, I think it's teens. And then like the the what, what do they call it? Like the the championship. They have it at the end of each season. All the right. winners from. I don't even right. know. I'm a terrible Jeopardy fan. I don't know. My favorite was Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Amazing. That, did you ever hear about that one? No. Jeff Prost, the host of Survivor. <laughs> yes. Okay. And it was on VH1. And then in Canada, yeah. it was on Much Music. And it yeah. was it was all music trivia questions. And it was the greatest show ever. Um, speaking of Alex Trebek, he is coming back to host mm-hmm. after his pancreatic oh cancer yes yes he's just recovered from cancer that's the other wild thing about watching the season start right. is how many times alex trebek has come back to host a season after something life-threatening really he has had multiple heart attacks he has been in multiple car accidents multiple what? episodes multiple episodes in this collection on netflix right now begin with him going thank you for all of the cards i received over the summer <laughs> well i think he's just getting cards anyway really <laughs> no, no, no. but like you know, like one in one episode, he has a broken leg and he can't what? move from the podium. What? Yes. The man has like, I mean, he is a cat with 18 lives. Wow. Canadian. That's why. Yeah. It's all the maple syrup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I didn't well, realize. He had quite this health scare, it, yeah. probably of all of the scares. Well, pancreatic cancers, you know, it's kind of terrifying. And uh, the Toronto Sun. Mm-hmm posted the picture with the news story and the caption was game over for alex trebek the toronto sun is just trash <laughs> isn't that's that the terrible. worst no that's genuine genuinely terrible genuinely terrible yeah because like cannot support that yeah. not that i can support anything that the toronto so, sun that's does, a bit cringeworthy so very eek. it's interesting to see how stuff like that gets through enough editors well or does I don't oh, okay so here's an interesting segue right I I don't think that's a bug I think that's a feature of their editorial direction I don't think that missed anybody I think every single person in that process approved that decision and is actively complicit in it I do and it's interesting this whole like is it something that that slipped through right I'm gonna pivot now to yeah. something lighter 
Have you um, watched the new Netflix? I watch a lot of Netflix. So th- this podcast could really be a Netflix <laughs> Netflix promotion. Anyway, hashtag brand, hashtag sponsored. Um, have you seen the new rom-com movie, Falling in Love, In With Two Ends? No. Oh, my God. You need to watch Wait, it. It's is adorable. It, is it a reality show or is it a rom-com? No, it's a rom-com. Movie. 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 I'm in. When a did woman, it come out? Like two days ago. Okay, I'll, that's why. <laughs> I'm usually very up on my at rom-com. The end, I think it came out at the very end of August. I'm so in. So so a young, uh, some sort of housing industry person. I'm not exactly. I don't know if she's an architect. She goes to New Zealand. She wins an inn through very dubious <laughs> means through an email that keeps popping up on her computer. Okay, so we watched it last night, and it it was amazing. There were so many things that I raved about it. It is one of the many things that I tweeted about randomly last night. Um, I loved so many things about it. But the feature or a bug thing is what made me think okay. of it. Because there are many, many, many elements in this movie that make zero sense. So... There's um, this uh, this American woman who goes to New Zealand. She's renovating an inn. It's she's in over her head. So she partners up with a local contractor. He is a house building professional, and he um, he becomes her partner in the project. They're going to split the proceeds 50-50. Of course, they are falling in love, right? So, in one flirtatious scene, she comes to talk to him while he has just begun to paint a step. It is like bare wood and he's painting it like dark gray okay so the paint is pretty obvious in the scene and if you imagine the step is like six feet wide he has painted about a foot of it she comes to flirt with him and he says I'm just about done here for the day do you want to have a beer or maybe she offers the beer I don't remember but he stops painting the stair tread one foot in like did nobody involved in the production of this movie say why don't we just have one of the interns paint the whole step and he can have that line at the end of the step where he's actually finished the task it is so random at the end of the movie I don't want to spoiler it but at the end of the movie this room this inn has been perfectly renovated by the two of them it's really beautiful top to bottom and um, there is something hidden in the wall behind a painting and the hole is like a jagged cutout of drywall, not finished in the least, not insulated or protected in the least. And she is a character who greatly is concerned about the environmental impact of um, energy waste. Right. And I'm just like, but what about the insulation problem? All right. We're just letting, you know what I mean? And then I wonder, so there was this list of things right. that concerns that I had about, like, why, why, why would you make this movie? Like, is it just that that's how the script was? And you were like, oh, it's too hard to change. Like how many people did it slip past or, or is that kind of unrealistic gets people talking over the top craziness, a feature, not a bug. Oh my goodness, such a good point. Right? Because we don't actually expect realism from these kinds of entertainment, right? I don't know. It's very interesting. Was it a low budget? Was there anyone in it? No, it's Netflix. Well, I mean, yes, but Netflix. I mean, Netflix in theory has a decent budget. It had really good New Zealand cast. Like, I don't know the shows because obviously I don't live in New Zealand, but all of my New Zealand writer friends were excited about the secondary character casts. Like, good people were involved in the production of the show. Okay, well, is there an A-list actor in it? No, there is a Hemsworth knockoff. Okay, but the 
American who comes to uh, her. She has been in a bajillion things, but no, she's a bit of a B-list actor. So do you think it was uh, something Netflix actually created or that they bought yes. from New Zealand? No, it's something that Netflix actually hmm. created. That is troubling then. Yeah, because Netflix shows are amazing. Yeah. And it can be amazing. They also buy a lot of content. Yeah. Right? Like I see stuff that I'm like, oh, I would like this. And then it's actually Spanish and I'm not it's watching not it. It's not the first time that I've noticed it in a Netflix rom-com. Mm. Like the Princess movie last year. Oh, yeah. You know, there yeah. were like just some... And that's got, that had Vanessa Hudgenson. That, right, who is an even you know higher star yeah. than, than this movie. But mm. this was similarly cute and they really nailed the romance beats. Like there were, there were two points specifically um, that were just like as perfect as could be. So it's really, it's anyway, I thought that, interesting. that was interesting. Or is our quality, do we just expect less quality now? Well, did you ever watch the show with um, Melissa McCarthy where she was a writer, Mike and Molly? No. Uh, was that where, where she was the overweight and dating another overweight guy? They were married, but yeah. <laughs> dating, married, whatever. Well, they might have been dating at the beginning. They I, did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I watched a few episodes so of it. So I think in like the second or third season, she writes a novel. Now, keep in mind, TV shows are written by, you know, professional writers, <laughs> many of whom who have tried to write novels and sell those to agents. Right. right? Or, you know, get an agent to sell them to a publisher. And the entire process through which she wrote and sold and had her book published was completely wrong. Like not one single step of that process was realistic or accurate in any way right and it's like how did a writer's room come up with this complete and utter illogical nonsense it has to be a feature not a bug right was it more interesting for the it may be because that's the other thing right yeah. what you do and the reality of it is actually incredibly boring i know but i it is very boring <laughs> truly <laughs> Actually, that is an excellent segue to the tweet that originally, yeah, my <laughs> 14 my minutes process. into the podcast. Let's get to today's topic. Yeah. I think uh, the regular listeners of the sister cast know that uh, this is how we go. This is, in fact, our process. This is our process. OK, so you tweeted writing tip. Your process doesn't have to change. You just need to get to the point that you are more confident about your process. Yes. What does that mean? You know, I don't love the way that tweet sounds when read out loud. I would like to edit it so that I don't use process twice. You can't edit on I Twitter. Know. Every other social media platform. And how many times? And so that's in marketing. How many times have people tweeted something? Yeah. And then missed the put can instead of can't. And it changes yep. the whole tone. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. Move, let's move forward with the idea, even if I don't love the, the poetry of it. Okay. Sure. So. How this came up is I have a writer friend who will remain anonymous um, who was talking to me very honestly about doubting her process. And honestly, I have been there before. Um, for a long time, I thought that I wrote linearly, started at the beginning of the book, went to the end of the book. And when I got stuck, um, I would think, oh, I just don't know what comes next. And I would try to you know, plot my way out or whatever. Um, and I would always, always, always get stuck if I didn't have enough ideas going forward. And it wasn't until I started co-writing that I realized that I write 
in a completely non-linear way. I just don't recognize it as writing. So I will do a lot of pre-work on a project. I will sketch out half scenes. I will um, sketch out whole scenes. I'll sketch out scenes that get tossed. But I will go into a book with somewhere between five and 10,000 words in tidbits, in little, like maybe 20 or 30 random notes. And I never saw that as part of the book. I always just, they were there, but I, I started over again. I reinvented the wheel and started raw from page one, which made the whole writing process that much longer. Once I realized that what I did was actually create a very chaotic looking outline and then started working within that so that I always knew where I was writing to next, then my whole process sped up, right? Once I, once I accepted that what I did was how I should do it, right, then I was no longer fighting myself. I wasn't resisting. I wasn't trying to do what I thought I should do. I was doing what I could do. Does any of that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. So is, can you think of a way... I'll talk a little bit more about what, what, where I think that that happens as a writer. Because I think my next tweet, can you read my next tweet after that one? I think this happens around the mm, total. I mumble. I think I put like, like, <laughs> yeah. a, like asterisk, mumble, asterisk. I think this happens around the total drafted word count point. The X drafted, total drafted word point. Yeah. If you've got a bunch of books under your belt, you are well on your way to this point. If you're brand new, I don't want to scare you. Just keep writing. Okay, but I'll scare our listeners. I think it happens around the million word written point, which that's a big number. What happens around the million? I think you start to accept that your process is your process. Gotcha. So if you if your books are 100,000 words, then that happens at 10 books. If your books are 50,000 words, that happens at 20 books. For me, my books are... They average around 50, 60. Some are a lot longer, some are shorter, but let's say. And for me, it was around book 20. That was when I realized, actually, my process is a lot of random sticky notes, a lot of chaotic scene ideas, all scribbled down and then quilted together. Quilted is a term that I got from a friend, Tamsin Parker, which I may have talked about on another podcast. So I think that you get it's the you know it's the mastery idea it's the 10,000 hours mm -hmm. thing right um you look at because I used to work in medical education you look at a first year resident right they spend so much time trying to doctor the way they think that they should doctor and by fifth year comes around if they when they become the chief resident they have fully sunk into how they are going to be a doctor which is a little bit different from the person next to them they are less interested in being cookie cutter and more interested in finding their own strengths and where they can really um fly and excel yeah well absolutely well everyone has different times of day they work better mm -hmm. or some people do need to start at the beginning some people start at the end yeah. a lot of tv writers will say they know their final scene yeah before they even write the whole series and it could be something like maybe if you are if you're the type of person who that's you know you're super formulaic 
maybe you should be shifting and writing inside a genre that really supports that and scaffolds writing with a ton of formulas like comic book writing or genre fiction writing or television writing, right? Um, screenplay. I, I've listened to a lot of screenplay writing, um, like podcasts and, and instruction videos and that sort of thing. And that is super fixed. You know, there's like 120 minutes and you have to write at, you know, different beats inside that. Um, as a fiction writer, I have more flexibility than that. But that flexibility sometimes isn't for everybody. So is part of your process also designing the book covers? (laughs) First and foremost, before anything else, if I don't have that visual, it's very hard for me um, to really know what I'm writing towards. Yeah, I want to I want to know as much as possible about the book. I need to know character names. I need to know what the package is going to look like. And then I can write towards that. What is your process? Is there something in your, um, like, okay, here's something that might be relevant to you in the marketing that you do. I think I've talked before about Aaron Sorkin's masterclass, right? And his bad ideas. Give me some bad ideas. Love bad ideas. Love bad ideas, right? And I think that probably for a lot of people who are entering into marketing, right, Mm -hmm. there is a fear of doing something wrong and a fear of throwing out a bad idea and being ridiculed, right? But once you embrace that if you just start throwing some bad ideas up on a writing board or like a mm-hmm. promo board mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. you start to get some really good ideas that only get unlocked because you've been willing to talk about the bad ideas. There, There's a big trend in being self-deprecating right now, mm-hmm. especially on social media, and it is my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Country music, the um, some big nominations came out a couple weeks ago for the CMA Awards, and... Brooks and Dunn, who I think retired a while ago, got nominated for something. And they retweeted the nomination with, I thought we quit, question mark. <laughs> and they were up. You know what I mean? Like, it's hilarious, yeah, right? Yeah, funny. Um, and it's just the, the stunts that fast food companies are doing right now. Mm-hmm. Did you hear in Atlanta, KFC piloted a Beyond Fried Chicken? It was like a one-day thing. And when they tweeted to announce that they were going to be selling Beyond Chicken, they were like, it's confusing. It's also delicious. Just come and try it. Like it's the beyond. Yeah. Beyond meat. Beyond meat is everywhere. Yeah. And so KFC is like, wait a minute. We want to try and get into this. Well, like, come on. Deep fried Kentucky fried chicken. Do we need to have a vegan choice of that? I don't know. Yeah. Hey, side note. Do you remember when our uncle was vegan, but the only thing he would eat was the skin of Kentucky fried chicken? No. Yeah. The, our oldest uncle? Oh, the other uncle on the, the other side. Yeah. Yes. Oh! <laughs> and I was like, so you're vegan or vegetarian. Vegan, yeah. I think. But he was vegan for health reasons. Yeah. Not so much moral reasons. Correct. But yeah. his one thing that he would allow would be the skin of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Interesting. Which is mostly just batting. Maybe it was Batter, mostly yeah. breading. Yeah. Well, but yeah. But... Gosh. Maybe... KFC. I don't know. We all, maybe we all need advice. When was the last time you had KFC? Oh, oh, uh, in the spring. Oh, maybe? less than a year. I th- I think less than a year ago. I think we were somewhere, and coming home. I I mean, this is very not specific, but it might have been last summer. But we were coming home, and it was raining, and we were talking about picking something up, and I randomly had a craving, and so we got KFC. KFC over Popeyes. 
Yeah, interestingly, uh, I prefer the KFC. Interesting. I know. I just lost a potential sponsor for a delightful podcast. <laughs> Not even in the slightest. <laughs> That's we okay. wouldn't accept their money. I'm really focused on the Netflix sponsorships. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So I think there was some sort of a message in here on this episode. About process. Yeah. I mean, you can talk to me more. Oh, right. Well, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about the million word mark. Okay. Um, so do you have, do you know Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour sure. theory? Yeah. Do you have a metric like that in radio? Like. Absolutely. Do you, do you know when 10,000 hours happens for somebody new to radio? Is that like the five year mark? Three year mark? Are you guys yeah. highly overworked? Uh, we're <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing is, uh, depends. So on air, right? Yeah. If okay. you do, um, if you do about six hours a day. Yeah. Right. So, but if it's also in other, uh, other, we, everyone in radio has four jobs. Right. So it takes longer to get to 10,000 well, hours. But that's a good point, right? When you split your focus. It's, yes. You know, it's harder to, to get, reach that mastery. Three years on some, five years on the other. Yeah. But what, actually it's taking significantly less. What we're noticing the trend in radio, it used to be, oh, yeah, you probably won't make it to a major market for at least 10 years. 10 years, yeah. Now it's like three, right. three years, five years. And is that because we we value fresh voices over really experienced or something like that? Well, I think the industry has smartened up and said, who cares if you're 23? If you're right. talented, you're talented. Right. Also, I don't think we're paying people what we used to, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, wait a minute, this 23-year-old as opposed to this They'll take and less. I, I, I hate age, right? Because, yeah. you know, you hear it on both sides, right? It used to be you hear it, oh, but I'm only 23. Will they even hire me? Right. And then you hear it on the, well, I'm almost 40. Are they even going to hire me? How much like, of, stop everyone. How much of that, though, is confidence, right? Because the 23-year-old who's angsty and worried, they're not the 23-year-old who's getting hired, right? It's the 23-year-old who blows you away with their confidence and enthusiasm. Absolutely, right? And age you know you can be unsure of yourself at 55 or yeah at 18 and I do think that you can you can go through that mastery cycle um at any at any age right there are lots of writers lots of writers who don't start writing until they're 40 I think the 40 seems to be like a trigger point for a lot of people who are like you know what I wanted to write a book and then 10 years later, they've written 10 books. Yeah. And I do think that there's something really wonderful about somebody entering writing as their third or fourth career. They come into it with a ton of comparative experience and they go through that. For us, I think it's a million words. They, they just go through that process with less angst, less confusion, more eyes on the prize at the very end of that very long tunnel and they just get it done you know they're they can be older I don't think I'm old I'm 40 I think I'm actually quite young um but I do think that there's something about this age that you can be really workhorsey if your life allows it of course you're also the sandwich generation and you you know find yourself being pulled by kids and by parents who need things and Mm -hmm. all of that but I do think that there's something we said for people at all ages. Yeah. Yeah. But to your question, yeah, I mean, it's the 10,000 hours. So, yeah, it's three to five years. Yeah. um, Depending on the event side, probably more like three to five, Mm -hmm. right? Same. You know, we're on air. You don't spend as many hours. We don't spend eight hours a day on air. Right. We spend four to six hours, depending. But then you host events and other things that Mm -hmm. all kind of add. But it, it is so true. You need to see the cycle a few times. Yeah. Um. 
Oh, and then the other thing, and this might relate to your 23-year-old who gets that, you know, top uh, on-air job, is sometimes, particularly, I think, more relevant today in this kind of convergence marketplace, um, the hours don't always have to come from exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like people who have built a platform, particularly one that segues, like a big blogger, you know, you look at someone like Lainey Gossip, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Lainey Gossip hit the ground running on TV because she knew exactly how to deliver content that people wanted, right? Moving from a blog to a television hosting job isn't as much of a leap as you might think it is. And the same is true for writing. Moving from a blog, like hosting a blog or journalism to writing genre fiction is exactly the same thing. You have to deliver a story in exactly the way people are expecting it and how and to and like those triggers to make people react and respond and act on um, call to actions and all of that that's baked into blogging and journalism so those people have a real advantage if they can get a foot into the genre fiction market and so we look at somebody who launches like a big debut and we're like they came out of nowhere no they came from a decade of blogging absolutely yeah might be their first book book. or it could be their third pen name right like we i think we've talked about that before that the biggest like not really a secret in publishing is that a debut name is rarely a debut writer right yeah solid point all right that's gonna wrap up episode three uh that was season three that was full of stuff (laughs) we just like getting together and chatting we do we've got tea and you know we're gonna do this again all right we'll talk soon